Good morning. Rise and freedom. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. Happy Monday. Today is November the 13th, 2023, and we're glad and thankful to have you here. All right, let's get the show on the road. Ready to rock? Renegades, Donald Trump, Dana White, Tucker Carlson, and Kid Rock enter to a hero's welcome at Madison Square Garden. The crowd went wild. Well, not everybody in the crowd. There were about 20,000 people in attendance and 19,999 people went wild. One person actually was caught on camera flipping the president off. Um, everybody's talking about it. Bill Burr's wife. Yeah, you know Bill Burr, the comedian? His wife uh, made a pretty low-class move. Everybody's chatting about it. It just reminds me a little bit about this other event that I saw over the weekend everybody else is talking about. We're all just gaga for celebrities these days. But did you see Taylor Swift with the PDA with Travis Kelsey from the Kansas City Chiefs where she like ran off stage and kissed him and everyone went crazy? Just like, you know what? If that's everybody wants to talk about, fine. We're going to do that. Okay, we're going to talk about it this morning at the top of the show. And then Whoopi Goldberg calls out lazy millennials. That's right, us. Aww. Our generation, lazy millennials. Uh, this is a woman who hasn't worked since Sister Act 2, uh, calling us out for being lazy. Uh, I've got a great clip to talk about that. Veterans Day, Palestinian protesters ripped down American flags. You hate to see it, boo. Good morning, my people. Can we not talk about Taylor Swift? No, There's God. Camelia this morning. No, God, please, no. She doesn't want to hear no. it. Well, guess what, Camelia? No. We got plenty of great content no. for you because at 7.30 a.m., we're going to have John Miltimore, the managing editor of the Foundation for Economic Ed Education on the show. We're going to big brain it up. To talk about San Francisco, you know how San Francisco is a poop hole and they crap on the streets and then there's needles everywhere and everybody's like, it's dangerous as hell, don't, dangerous as hell, don't go to downtown San Francisco. Well, apparently it's possible for them to clean it up and we know this because Xi Jinping and a group of international leaders are coming to San Francisco and a whole bunch of homeless people just disappeared overnight and all of a sudden the streets were clean and they did it on their current city budget. Oh, interesting. We'll talk to John Miltimore about that this morning at 7.30 a.m. Central Time, so about 30 minutes now. And then, of course, I know Stephanie, or not Stephanie, I know Camelia is really excited to hear from Tony Lavasco this morning on the show. He's going to be on camera. Not just a phoner today. We're going to hear from Tony Lavasco because a front page article in the Wall Street Journal over the weekend says that Oregon's experiment in hard drug decriminalization is not working. And I know what you're saying, libertarians. How dare you, Austin? How dare you even entertain this premise? Okay, well, listen, it's the mark of an educated mind to entertain a thought without accepting it. But Tony Lavasco thinks that he's got a really good reason or an explanation for why Oregon's experiment in drug decriminalization has not worked. We'll talk about that with Tony at 8 a.m. It's going to be a great conversation. You don't want to miss it. Yes, Camelia. Yes, I know. So can you please put up with a little bit of celebrity gossip for just a few minutes, okay, while we have some fun? And then, then you can, can talk about the dour topics at 8 o'clock with Tony. At 8.30 this morning, the media is, is panicking over whether or not they knew about the Hamas terror attacks. A lot of them are scrambling to come up with answers for whether or not they were alerted in advance about the terrorist attacks that were going to occur on October 
7th. And I found this really great conversation from back in the, looks like the 1980s, maybe early 1980s, between Peter Jennings and all of these other major journalists at the time uh, about the question of whether or not they as journalists would feel obligated to inform Americans if there were going to be attacks against American soldiers. It's a fascinating discussion, and I think it's one that in the light of today's current events, we should all be having about the question of journalistic ethics. Would you, if you were a reporter, inform American soldiers about an imminent attack that might be coming if you were a journalist? Great question, right? We'll talk about that today at 8.30 a.m. Central Time, so about an hour and a half into the show, if you're listening to the audio podcast version of this show later. So for those of you who are uh, interested in timestamps, you can find that there at that, that point in conversation. You can text the show today at 573-319-1586. What I highly encourage you to do is if you're a regular viewer of the Wake Up America show, it's time for you to, to program that text message line in there. 573-319-1586. Again, you can just text the show and you can do it anytime, night or day at 573-319-1586. So again, if you are listening to the audio version of this podcast later, then you can text the show and let me know what you thought about the topics because I love to hear from you. All right, well, Bill Burr, uh, his wife is getting into big trouble. But before we play that clip, of her uh, low-class move uh, pointed at the President of the United States, which is free country, free speech. But we'll talk about the implications of such in just a moment. Uh, President Trump, Tucker Carlson, Donald Trump Jr., Kid Rock, Dana White, walking into Madison Square Garden together to a hero's reception. Everybody but one person. Right into the building. One of the bigger mixed martial arts fans I know. I mean, even if you don't like these guys. Taking Look at this. Octagon side seat for UFC 295. We got two title fights coming up at UFC 295 here in a matter of moments. Live from Madison I mean, Square just Garden. Like, oh, and oh, President oh, Trump will be here to witness. This is their audience. This is not New York City. Look, Tucker looks happy. Set to take their cracks at light heavyweight and interim heavyweight gold, respectively. I would totally go to a UFC we match. We will over to shortly. Thank you all for being here for the Dana White, there's but Trump as you Jr. Know, best is yet to come. Main card for UFC 295. Live Tucker. On okay, so you guys don't rec- may not recognize who this is right here. See this guy in the crowd? That's Jared Leto. Right, some of you might uh, remember him. He was the uh, the really bad Joker, but he was also in that really great movie about drugs, where uh, we also got to see Jennifer Connelly doing unspeakable things that we all dreamed about in the 1980s. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but the butt. All right. So if you're just tuning in to the Wake Up America show, good morning. Click that like button and subscribe to the channel. We'd love to hear your thoughts on what's going on in the world today. You remember, you can text anytime at five seven three. 319-1586. You want to come back and join us every Monday through Friday here on the show. And the best way to do that, click that subscribe button so you don't forget who we is, who we are. We was Kangs for the love of God. But in case you forget that, uh, that we built the pyramids, then make sure you subscribe to the channel so you can come back and find us again. All right. So they enter to a rock star's welcome. Not everybody was happy about it. Here you can see comedian Bill Barr. Bill Barr, not not attorney general, but although some people think he's a comedian. <laughs> There she is right there with the double, the double F U in the fingers. Again, free country, totally free uh, to do as she please. Libby Yemens tweeted this. She's 
actually my editor for my weekly column at Human Events, says Donald Trump walked into an arena, holds 20,000 people, 19,999 people were so happy, and then there was Bill Burr's wife here. Mute that, there she is. So there's Bill Burr, and there's his wife, Nia, which, for those of you who don't know, who haven't like listened to Bill Burr, uh, I actually listen to his podcast a lot. And, um, and I would, I would, I, I always loved Bill Burr, but mostly because he pooped all over the women. Like he was one of the first comedians to kind of push, start pushing back against the rabid raging feminism of the aughts uh, and the uh, tens and twenties, right. Of our generation. But then he got married to this woman, Nia. And a lot of people have said that he's really started to go woke. He's had to moderate his views because his wife henpecks him, right? Monica Crowley, she's an old friend of mine. She used to work for Richard Nixon, actually, a speechwriter for him back in the 70s. Uh, but her and I um, became acquaintances at Fox News when I wor we worked there together. She says that, guys, one of the many lessons of Bill Burr's wife flipping off President Trump, do not marry a toxic, woke nightmare unless you want your life to be a living hell. Absolutely. I got to say, uh, you know, ever since I got married to Stephanie, I, I realized how wonderful life could be. But you know what I did? Do you know what, what I did? I waited. I, and I, I retweeted Monica Crowley this morning, and I said this, that uh, I think that men, if you are not married and you're a young guy out there, say you're in your early 20s right now, resist the trad pressure to get married young. Shop around. Listen to the miracles, right? My, when um, What's, how does the song go? It goes, try to get yourself a bargain, son. Don't be sold on the very first one. Pretty girls, come a dime a dozen. You gotta find one who's gonna give you true loving. My mama told me, you better shop around. Oh yeah, you better shop around. Shop around. Get yourself, gentlemen, get yourself a girl who says things like this. I used to think that equality in a marriage was what I wanted. Mm-hmm. But now that I'm seeing how responsible you are as the leader of our household, mm -hmm. I'm willing to submit a lot more. And I'm actually enjoying that, which is crazy to admit. Tell me I was more. Afraid, I was afraid to submit before because I was afraid of getting hurt because of, you know, being a child of divorce. But I'm, I'm happy to be able to trust you to lead the household. Where do you think that comes from? Mm. Try to get yourself a barking son. Don't be sold on the very first one. Pretty girls come a dime a dozen. You gotta find one who's gonna get y'all true love in. Oh, yeah. Hell yes. <laughs> Studio 314 says, For Christ's sake, please shop around. Your future self will thank you. Yes, it's true. It's true. Thank you, Studio. Has everybody here hit the like button on the show? Well, what's not? What's wrong with you? Though? That clip really got people talking this weekend. Hannah Cox was sharing it, and she's like, oh, this is such a compliment. And you know Hannah, she kind of bristles at some of the like feminist stuff or like the anti-feminist stuff out there because she's a little bit more feminist these days. But she shared this, uh, this video of Stephanie and I, should marriages be equal because... <laughs> trolling a little bit and I put a screw I pulled the screen grab from this and I said that feeling when your wife says to the world she submits to your leadership and trusts your role as a decision maker yes AP winning at life 
but uh, Hannah Cox, she says, she's a good friend of ours. She says, most women want to be able to hand over a lot of decision making. What? Lies and mendacity. She says, they want to be taken care of. Okay, yes, true. Uh, they want to be able to let their man lead. <laughs> We are laughing. We are laughing. Uh, and she says, but for that to happen, she has to trust the man's character, wisdom, and vision. And the modern problem is many man, men lack all three. Okay, true, right? Part of the problem is the gentleman, right? But you, what you don't want to end up with, guys, you don't want to end up with a woman like this. Here, see, so you can, you know, here she is, the toxic female, the toxic female in her environment. She probably just lost him 40% of all future revenue with her behavior like that, right? I mean, talk about an embarrassment. Get yourself a woman, gentlemen, that won't embarrass you like this. It, the, the nice thing, the thing that I really love about Stephanie is I never have to worry about her in public. Remember when we did that Jesse Lee Peterson interview when Jesse Lee Peterson had us on? He was attacking us and trying to break us down because he didn't like the fact that we weren't a, a Christian like him. But Stephanie did fine. She came on and she was answering her. Honestly, I didn't have to worry about her saying anything that was going to embarrass me. Right, right. That is a that is a really important trait, right? That a woman is not going to embarrass you in public. And, I, you know, it's a fair point. And Cam Camelia pointed it out. And we should talk about it, that you should uh, that men are not behaving in a way to be good leaders. Right. They're not taking the reins. I sometimes like to compare women to horses. Right. They're like wild horses couldn't break me away. They're like wild horses. And like the the more educated and the more sort of uh, 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 career focused that a woman is, the harder it is to break a horse like that. Right. You really got to ride them hard in order to get them to uh, to take the to be able to take the reins. But, you know, listen to Monica Crowley, guys, you know, avoid those toxic women that are out there that are going to be like acting like this in public. They will embarrass you. They will lose you money. They won't support you. And one day they'll leave you and they'll take everything that you have. You know, and I again, I recommend that you resist the traditional conservative pressure to get married very young. I like Ben Shapiro. Sometimes I even like what Matt Walsh has to say, but they're dead wrong about getting married young. Do not let them pressure you into it because they well, they worship a deity that that tells them what to do right? Do what's right for yourself, no matter what kind of pressure you're getting from your churches, because the churches are now toxic uh, and highly hyper-feminized. We've talked about this before. The churches especially are going to try and pressure you to get married young. And of course, the women are going to try and do that, of course, too, because then they want to, you know, they want to ruin your life and poison the well. Gentlemen, here is my advice to you. You cannot recognize the evil that a bad woman can do if you do not have experience in the dating pool, do not chase women, make them come to you. Like here's another um, animal analogy, rather than horses, think of them as like birds, right? You do, if you want to catch a bird, do you run around out in the woods trying to chase a bird and grab a bird? Is that how you catch a bird? No. How do you catch a bird? You take the bird seed and you put it out in your hand and you wait. Right. And you do not whatever you do, you do not grab at the bird. You just hold the bird seed out. You have something of value and the birds will eventually come to you. Do not waste money on females. Do not spend money on them. If they demand that you take them to dinner or some kind of expensive place on a first, don't even take them on a coffee date. I tell you what, find the place in your town that has the most picturesque scenery. 
there's a little waterfall here somewhere, or there's, you know, there's some little place where you can go for a walk and there's, and it's beautiful and give them the little five to 15 to 25 minute audition. Okay. And if they're toxic, if they're problematic, dump them, leave them, go away. You're done. Walk away. Gentlemen, think about this. Focus on yourself. You are the prize. You are the catch. It's true. A good man is hard to find, much harder to find than a good woman. At some point, a woman's biological clock is going to make them throw themselves into your arms. Now, it might be already too late, but for them at that point, and they might be beyond the point of you desiring to, you know, because men desire youth and beauty and fertility, right? Those might not be the girls that you want anyway, but I promise you that there are going to be good women out there and they are going to be outnumbering the good men. And a lot of that, of course, has to do with bad behavior of bad men who have not been raised by good men, have not had good fathers, right? But if you're a good man and you've worked on yourself and you've made yourself the type of man that is valuable, you are the most valuable commodity. You don't realize this, a lot of you guys out there, but you are valuable. You are more valuable than the world treats you or, or wants you to believe. Focus on yourself. You are the catch. Make yourself the best version of yourself that you can be. If you build it, they will come. Remember, like I said, the miracles. Try to get yourself a bargain, son. Don't be sold on the very first one. A pretty girl's come a dime a dozen. You gotta find one you're gonna give you true loving. David Lee says, ranting like an incel. Well, uh, if I'm an incel, well, I try. <laughs> I weep for the world, for the rest of the gentlemen, if I'm an involuntary celibate. Funny, funny stuff. But no, it's true. Work on yourself, guys. And, uh, you know, don't, then you won't end up with a Bill Burr style wife. Okay. There you go. Uh, Steffi says she used to hate when guys smothered her, scared her away. There we go. Uh, Rare Camellia says, if we're using bird analogies, the male birds do courtship dances and display to attract females. I think we should take a lesson here. Absolutely. I tell men, work out, work on yourself, make yourself beautiful, right? Learn how to dance, learn how to sing, learn how to, how to cook, learn how to do everything, right? That's, that's, I, I highly recommend that if we're going to use that bird analogy, but don't chase them. Don't chase them, gentlemen. They, if you are amazing, trust me, they will come to you. If women aren't coming to you, you've got a problem right? You need to work on yourself. You're not working on yourself enough. You're too focused on them. You need to focus on you. Get off the dating apps, et cetera, et cetera. Whoopi Goldberg, she's got some advice for us millennials. Take a listen. Only millennials and Gen Z have a much different view of the American dream than past generations. <laughs> Data shows that soaring inflation, student debt, and limited room for advancement in the workplace has made them feel that milestones like affording a home, starting a family, excelling within the corporate structure are out of reach. Does every generation feel this way at some point? I say yes. What do you think? <laughs> I'm sorry. One kid is enough. You know, listen, every generation comes and wants to do better than their parents did. Every generation. But I'm sorry. If you only want to work four hours, it's going to be harder for you to get a house. <laughs> oh, and don't mention four days. <laughs> no, but... You know, I, I feel I feel for everybody that feels this, but I'm sorry. We busted our behinds. Mm -hmm. We had to bust our behinds because mm -hmm. we didn't have the option of going back. Y'all gave us the housing back. crisis, though. We but, um, Listen, we had all kinds of stuff. No, coming. it's true, but I, the one problem. thing I'd say is millennials are statistically the um, first generation that's likely to do worse off than their parents. That's a You know what? Thing. That's what they said to us as well. Every, every generation is told you're going to do worse than your parents. And you know what? People pick it up and they do what they
they do, and they raise themselves, and this is what- I just, I love hearing a liberal uh, talking about bootstraps. Whoopee, out-of-touch boomer there. Uh, but speaking of out-of-touch boomers, Sheila Jackson-Lee, and she says that she's in touch with our generation. Take a listen. We want to create an entertainment complex for film, uh, for music, for theater, for the performing and visual arts. And when I say that in yeah. front of our Gen Z and Millenniums, they're ready to stay, and they're ready to help me build this city. Okay, wait a minute. What did she say there? In front of our Gen Z and Millenniums, they're when I say that in front of the what one more time, what did you say there, Sheila Jackson? Hey, millenniums, they're ready to stay. Well, millenniums, millenniums. <laughs> when she says that in front of Gen Z and millenniums, and they're ready to stay. Okay, well, here, here are the pro-Palestine protesters over the weekend celebrating Veterans Day. Here's how they celebrate Veterans Day. <laughs> Tear the UN flag down, that's okay. <laughs> Veterans Day, pro Palestine protesters ripping down America's flags. Both these are wonderful people. We should definitely keep them here and not deport them all. If the West feels so sorry for the Israeli Zionists, why don't they give a place in Germany? Why don't they go to Hitler's back garden and make an occupation there? Then they will know what kind of people these are. Why every so many hundred years the Zionists get slaughtered? Because Hitler knew how to deal with these people. They probably made a program so they can create a state of Israel in the expense of Palestinian Muslims' blood. Hitler knew how to deal with these people. Yikes. All right, let's move on to the next topic. Well, San Francisco apparently has the ability to clean up the streets. Take a look at this video. Here we have San Francisco, Zombieland, San Francisco, San Francisco 2023. There you have San Francisco 2023. This is just a few weeks ago. Look at that guy with his pants all the way down around his thighs. Streets of San Fran. Huh. Looks like the average hellhole that people complain about. But now here we have, right before Xi Jinping's in visit. Oh, wow. Look at this. Same street. Very clean. Barriers are up. Huh. Fascinating. Wow. That looks like the streets of Washington, D.C., right outside the White House. You want to talk about clean streets. That's San Francisco, same city, right there, same town. Fascinating. Here's a local news report. Yes, that's right. The summit is expected to bring in $53 million, filling hotel rooms, bringing big business. And the city did tidy up for Dreamforce, but this cleanup is much more extensive. While San Francisco is in the spotlight for the Asia-Pacific Economic Conference, city leaders are making sure the city shines. Tourism is our business here in San Francisco, and we need to focus on making sure that the tourist dollars still come back. Caltrans repaving major roadways like the Harrison Street off-ramp for the I-80. BART doubling down by deep cleaning their stations overnight more often. The city had gotten a little bit dingy over time. Scrubbing and power washing is happening all over the city. Yeah, the bottom of my shoes look clean. Like. 
it's noticeable how clear the streets look and how few homeless encampments there are on major thoroughfares. Having been a longtime resident in the Bay Area, you just naturally start to wonder of like houseless folks being displaced. Public Works is installing decorative crosswalks in North Beach and Chinatown. And the Webster Street pedestrian bridge in Japantown was recently repainted. The Yerba Buena Gardens at the Moscone Center are decked out with new colorful landscaping and murals, paid for by the Clean California grant just in time for the 20,000 high-profile CEOs and heads of state coming into town next week. Some people say this should be how it's always done. What yeah. about the people who are here year-round, you know, and like local, hard-working, working-class Bay Area folks? Others welcome the cleanup. Anything that brings in uh, a positive look on the city of San Francisco is great. We will continue to do everything we can to maintain cleanliness in our streets. Oh, gee. Oh, yeah, right. Let's have a good laugh at that one, ladies and gents. They're going to continue to do everything they can. Here, look at this. Look at this. Look how beautiful this is. Here we right are. Right there. Downtown San Francisco. And as you can see, they got it blocked off. Almost encampment, encampments gone. Barricades. Sad our country's not safe enough. Sad they got to put up barricades. Oh, yeah. Whenever it comes to protecting the elite in San Francisco, you're guaranteed to see them actually enforcing the law. It reminds me a little bit about what My Michael Malice talks about quite frequently, which is what they call anarcho tyranny, meaning that they only enforce the laws against you for political purposes and they don't enforce other laws that will benefit them or that might be inconveniencing to the elites in this country. That's called anarcho-tyranny. Tyranny against the January Sixers, anarchy uh, for the homeless people on the streets. Tyranny against anyone who might be protesting in favor of their free speech rights or tyranny against any Tea Party protesters, if you will, and anarchy for the Palestinian protesters who want to destroy, deface, and defame the United States that gives them the freedoms to have that speech. That's going to be the conversation I'm going to have with John Miltimore when I get back. He's from the Foundation for Economic Education. We'll hear his thoughts on this on the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. Good morning, Rise and Freedom. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America Show at wakeupamericashow.com. We're glad to have you here. Click that like button, subscribe to the channel that you're watching right now here at rumble.com slash AP for Liberty. We'd love to have you come back and join us every Monday through Friday from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. Central Time. We stream the show live. It's a great way to start the day. And of course, you probably just saw and heard the commercial for Martha's Mint. That's an extremely limited time brand of coffee that we're offering right now during the holiday season. So if you haven't gotten your orders in, now's the time to do it. Make sure that you get yourself a bag or two, offer it up to your family as well. We're getting great reviews. People who have already bought and tasted Martha's Mint say they love it. It's not an overpowering, overwhelming mint flavor. It's just enough to give you that little bit of sweetness that I know you will appreciate during these cold winter months. Get yourself some now, and especially if you really like it, you might wanna stock up because after Christmas time, we say bye-bye to Martha's Mint. You might not see it again until next year. Add a little chocolate sauce, by the way, for those who like the sweetness. And uh, for those who are like me, um, maybe add a little bit of peppermint schnapps as well. I think you guys know what I'm saying, right? You know what I'm saying? 
You can get some delicious Founding Flavors coffee at AP4LibertyShop.com. Also, just an FYI, I know people are like asking us all over the place, K-Cups, 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 they're coming, they're coming, not yet. But we have another exciting development coming right before the K-Cups this week in Founding Flavors coffee. So if you are a regular weekly or monthly subscriber to our coffee program, you're going to start to see the changes in your deliveries, they're still gonna come on time, don't worry, you're still gonna get the same great coffee that you ordered, don't worry, but there's gonna be a little extra something special for you guys in the box. What's in the box? Get it at ap4libertyshop.com. All right, well, certainly one, at one way that our elites treat us is to allow the homeless to camp out on the streets of our once glorious cities, is to allow drug addicts to roam the streets committing crimes against anybody that they want, but then when the elites come to town, when Santa Claus, <laughs> or Xi Jinping, if they will, communist Santa Claus, comes to California, then all of a sudden they've got all this money to spare to clean up the streets. Let's talk about this anarcho-tyranny with a good libertarian friend of mine, John Miltimore. He's the editor-at-large at the Foundation for Economic Education, and he's joining us live right now. How you doing over there in that little bubble, John? Hey, I'm doing great over here, AP. How about yourself? I'm doing good. I see this stuff and I just shake my head. I'm going to San Francisco in January to visit some family. I hope it's still clean when we get there, but I'm not holding out that much hope. What What's your take on this story? Well, first, you, you time that that trip well, you know, <laughs> like you might actually have some some clean streets. Um, you know, I've been taken into it a little bit. I mean, you know, e economics is the study of incentives, right? And and I get I guess uh, the premier of China and Biden coming out to San Francisco is the incentive they needed uh to, to get those streets cleaned up um and i really think if you if you dig into this that's what this is is primarily about um you can go like the san francisco chronicle to their credit did some pretty good work they 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 FOIA, they got emails um and you have city officials that are referencing this american uh pacific economic Con uh, conference that's coming up and they're saying what are we going to do about this like we we know we got to get these streets cleaned up what's happening um, so this this is the incentive that they had world leaders coming out. So we got to get this cleaned up. Now I'm going to do something that's kind of a little bit I don't like doing. I'm going to defend Gavin Newsom just a little bit. Um, he's been saying for years, like I want to do this. I really want to do this, but I can't because there's court injunctions. Um, and and they're not wrong on that. Like if you go back, the Ninth Circuit has ruled. This is several years ago. Um, that you can't clear people out without giving them some sort of place to live. Um, and, and, and Newsom says he thinks that's crazy. And he's right. And, and he said the Supreme Court needs to take this up. And there's a bunch of states that are actually, there's an amicus brief in California's part of it. They're trying to, to get uh, states and municipalities more leverage to, to get, get, come on, the riffraff out of there, right? There's nothing that says in the Constitution that says you, you, you got to allow a squatter if you don't give them a place to live. And to me, that's madness. And just to bring this full circle, so the the the, the ninth, what, what Newsom and company are saying is the ninth circuit just gave them more guidance on how to do this properly. Now, I haven't seen it, that guidance. I, I, I think, I really think this is a case. They're like, we need to get the people out. Um, and if you do look at the people being moved, they, they are being offered like, oh, they, they said they'd put me somewhere else, but I, I just want to stay here in the alley. Um, so I really think this is about it's it's an embarrassment to San Francisco. It's a, an embarrassment to Newsom, and it would be an embarrassment to Biden as well um, if they just left you know these tent cities up. So they had to clear this up. John, where did the homeless people go? 
Well, somewhat in the hotel. Like there's some people that are being moved, like like the city is paying for them to stay in hotels. Um, they have some makeshift shelters, it sounds like. Um, some people just are, I think this is probably what the city wants, are saying, well, no, I don't want to, you know, I, you don't have to put me up, but but we'll leave because you, you took my stuff, you knocked my 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 tent down you, and everything else. Um, I, so I think some of these people are being placed somewhere else. Some are just being pushed along and moved out. And there's probably not a whole lot of people that are going to, you know, you know, follow up and ask a lot of questions. You know, how, are they really offering everybody a, a place to live? I doubt. Like, like th this needed to happen. And they finally had the right incentive to, to get the people out. And we're seeing that this can happen with the right incentive. It's just very frustrating that the incentive is world leaders coming to town. And, and people in San Francisco, people in California should be pissed off about this. If you're just tuning into the Wake Up America show, good morning. I'm your host, Austin Peterson. Click that like button and subscribe to the channel. We'd love to have you come back and join us here today. If you're really appreciating this conversation today, do us a favor and drop a rumble rant. Help support the show. Subscribe to us on a monthly basis to help us to spread the ideas of economic freedom and personal liberty. Don't forget, if you are a monthly subscriber, you do get a 20% discount at the AP for Liberty Shop website. So subscribe today. Help us to support the ideas of freedom. Speaking of freedom, I'm speaking to John Miltimore. We're having our Mondays with Miltimore. He joins us here today on the show, and he's an editor at large for the Foundation for Economic Education, which if you don't know the history of fee.org, I highly recommend that you do so. I was actually uh, reading about a biography of Milton Friedman that came out over this weekend where they falsely labeled him a conservative. Uh, but it talked a little bit about Milton Friedman's association with the institute where John Miltimore is working right now. They've got a long and storied history uh, of spreading the ideas of freedom that we all share here. Uh, at least I think most of us here do. So I definitely recommend that you check out fee.org for that reason. That's why we bring John in here because he's um, not only great as a guest, but he also represents a storied institution here for American freedom. Uh, and there's your plug for you, John. Um, in regards to the story that we're talking about right now, though, uh, you say it's ridiculous. They they should be pissed. I mean, listen, John, I think America is the greatest nation in the world, but we're falling behind on things like uh, uh, life expectancy. We talked about this on the show on Friday, for example, where the United States has fallen to like 34th. And part of it, I think, has to do with this question of open air drug markets, homeless encampments on the street, and our money and economy being entirely mismanaged from the top down. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, I, I agree 100%. Um, ideas matter. And, and on the ideas front, we've, the last 30 years, we've, we've really, you know, kind of forgotten some of the lessons that we uh, learned, you know, at the end of the Cold War there. We, we, we thought we defeated, you know, socialism when the communists, you know, the, the Soviet empire fell. Um, those ideas are still very much alive. They've just kind of changed a little bit and they're, they're ascendant here right now. Um, and I, I'm not, you know, like if you're, if you're a betting man, I'm not, I'm not buying stock in America right now. I, I think there's real problems. I think there's a breakdown of our politics. And, um, you know, here's the thing we have, we're facing big, big problems. Okay. And, and we're seeing it now we have $34 trillion in debt and it's going to start really, really getting serious next few years as those interest payments get higher and higher. Um, we don't have people that can, serious people that can fix these problems in Washington, um, which is why you see Moody's now. I think they just reached out and told the, you know, the federal, the U.S. government, hey, 
you know, we're going to downgrade you too now. Like you remember, like the, I think it was Fitch that downgraded the U.S. just a, a few, you know, six months ago, whatever. Now Moody's going to do the same. There, the people are very, very concerned that the United States government is not a good place to put your dollars anymore, or, or the United States as a country is not a good place to put your dollars anymore. And I think they're right. Um, how we get this fixed, I don't know, but it starts, you know, getting back to kind of the right principles. Um, you know, an ownership, an ownership society. Um, and and just to go back to the tent city once, this is you know the, the the political will was not there to fix this, but the Ninth Circuit, like it, it is ludicrous that they were allowed to just kind of say, yeah, you can't clear these people out, like, um, and and we're just going to move on. Um, that like like the judges making that decision, these people are are they're they're not on their property, right? Ah, oh, they're just on the city's property. Um, if it was if they were camped out in their own yard, you you you'd be damn well sure that that they'd be cleared out of there. Um, but yeah, the, these problems are 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 serious. I I go you know back and forth between optimist and and pessimist on on you know like whether or not we can fix these things. Um, you know, I I think the way to look at it is expect things to get much worse. But but you know when they do when they do then then you know the humans have a like they kind of have the power to fix things. A little bit, uh, but I think things are going to get much worse first. Oh, our listeners over on the live stream on Rumble.com are weighing in. Liberty seventeen seventy six Bell, great name, joins us for I believe the first time today. And comments says, "Red, white, and renegade sent me." Nice. Welcome to the show. Glad to have you here. Studio three one four dropped in five dollars. Says five dollar make you holla. Happy Monday, five dollar. We love you very much. Love you long time, Studio. Thank you. Johnny Rankin says, thinking about the last time I was downtown L.A., got lost at midnight, only to end up next to Skid Row, absolutely terrified. Yes, uh, it is a scary place, and I've been there only once, and I was also as terrified as a big dude. I can't imagine what it'd be like to be a frail little woman. John Knox says, U.S. credit ratings should really be lower, but the ratings agencies are afraid to report accurately because reprisals. Did you see that, John, that our credit rating uh, got uh, dinged down now to like, what is it bad or worse or what's the what's below neutral i didn't see that one like i i saw i saw you know the triple a ratings gone which is you know and i i think it, the, the person that just commented is right it should be worse but i think they are afraid of backlash and pushback if, if here it is bad. moody's turns negative on u.s credit rating draws washington's ire moody's on friday lower their uh the trusted credit rating to negative Lowers credit outlook, citing political dysfunction. Yeah, just like what you said. Uh, you think it should be lower than that, John? Well, I, I again, I, I didn't know. I, I thought they were just get, losing their AAA ratings. So I, I'll have to go back and look and see what they actually um, what they mean by negative. Um, but yeah, I think I think that that is that's deserved. In fact, it's probably past time. Um, I'm not. You know, you can go back. When was the Simpson Bowles? You know, bipartisan commission. Do you remember that? Uh, yes, I do. So the boring stuff uh, for some reason yeah. always gets my attention. Yeah, like I, I don't remember how many years that so that they spent two years putting together this great fiscal plan, the rest of and everyone in Washington ignores it. Like like it, it did nothing. And 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 that's sort of like, okay, people were trying to raise the alarm then. Nothing happened. Um, will it be different now? I don't know, but I, I guess that's sort of what, you know, the incentive we need is is all hell breaking loose and downgrades and everything else before people take this seriously and realize we just can't sit there, you know, printing money and running deficits here. Yeah. Speaking of Milton Friedman, didn't he say that the only time anything ever gets done is when there's an absolute crisis? 
It was, which was in a way, it was kind of a bastardization of Winston Churchill's quote about the United States is that the United States can always be expected to do the right thing once they've expended all other options. <laughs> I always love that Churchill quote. I was familiar with that one. And, and it's kind of right. And I think, you know, hopefully we get there. Um, I, I don't, you know, again, it takes serious people to recognize this stuff and make deals. I don't see that. And I'll, I'll be honest, I don't see it on either side. John, why can't you just be a reckless partisan for at least once today? Uh, I am sometimes. But look, come on. You're looking at at, at the Republican Party today and you see leaders like fiscal leadership there. I do. No, it's true. It's true. I don't know if we're going to see it ever again, because there isn't a move in the Republican Party for fiscal conservatism at all. I mean, there obviously are a few people like our Thomas Massey's and Rand Paul's, but we are not the majority. And certainly the wind is not blowing in our direction, if you will. Um, one last thing, that question of uh, the um, the uh, topic that I brought up a little bit earlier, I wonder what your thoughts are on this, because I learned about this from Michael Malice, but apparently it's been around for quite some time, which is this concept of anarcho-tyranny rel- relative to what they're doing out in San Francisco. Anarcho-tyranny is, is described as a stage of governmental dysfunction in which the state is anarchically hopeless at coping with large matters, but ruthlessly tyrannical in the enforcement of small ones. Do you think that we're there? Is that Mal? Did he coin that term? Uh, I don't think so, but... Uh, oh, it, it's awesome. No, I, have, I really haven't heard of the concept before. Um, I'd have to think to see if we're actually there, but it does sound kind of like this stage that we're in, right? Um, and, and, and this is kind of a good example of it. Um, where you you have a, a, a federal court that just says, nope, you can't clear those people. And it's, it's going to result in years of chaos and dysfunction because a three-judge panel said, you can't move people off property that is not their own. Um, it's, it's really madness to me. And, I, and it was like one of those things, like when we started to see this, this period, I don't know when this started, um, maybe 2015, maybe 14, maybe um, where... All the, the like, like the world just kept getting crazier and crazy, and you're like, well, what's going on here? And then COVID hit, so so we are in this period where um, I hope this isn't a new normal, but but there is a level of d- dysfunction and breaking down around us that I think people don't even really understand, and I, I I won't claim to understand it, certainly not fully, um, but I think it is. Institutions are breaking. Um, our, our ideas are there's really no no, no cogent um, formula to our ideals. It's like a mishmash of things. Um, and we, we we took civilization for granted for a very long time, and um, we're going to see you know that that, that was, was a mistake. And civilization is is a miracle, right? Like appreciate it, keep it. Um, and right now, you know we're 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 it, it's falling apart. So um, not too late to fix these things, but it, it's going to be a heavy lift. John, real, one last question, real quick. Um, do you vote in Republican presidential primaries? Traditionally, I have. Yeah. Who are you going to vote for in this one? Well, this might be the exception. I'm not sure I would. Um, again, like this was sort of, I, I think every Republican primary of my life, I probably have voted. I, I, I'm not somebody, I'm not a libertarian that, that says I was always voting LP. I, I was kind of a Republican that's become a libertarian. Um, but, excuse me, I'm not sure I actually have a horse in this. Um, I'll, I'll get, as it gets closer, I might look. Um, if I was going to vote today for any Republican candidate, it'd probably be Vivek. And if I was going to vote for any candidate, period, I know this is going to piss you off. I'd probably vote for RFK Jr. today and be, you know, um, be like, okay, I'll try something different. I tried something different in 2016 with Trump. And it didn't work, but I tried something different. 
Um, but but either way, uh, th this could be the one I don't even vote because I'm just pre disillusioned as well. Nah, John, I could never be mad at you. You're kind of like my my guilty conscience telling me what I think what I should do. When in reality, I'm probably if I uh, for me, I would definitely vote for Vivek. But at this point in time, I actually think it wouldn't be bad to have Donald Trump come back just because I do see this as sort of like if it's going to be the last days of Rome, let's go. I want to see Samson bring down the temple walls, you know, <laughs> to quote the Bible, if you will. And I think that Trump's probably the only guy that that uh, that has the cojones to do it. John, where can people find out more about your work online? Hey, our work is uh, on fee.org, you know, FEE.org. But I want to give one quick plug to, to Larry Reed. Larry was a longtime president of FEE and currently, you know, president emeritus. He was in Poland recently. The president of Poland gave him the, Gra the Grand Cross of the Order of Merit, the highest uh, award that, that anyone kind of bestows on, on a foreigner that, that, Poland, that Poland does. The, you know, two people that, that received that were Ronald Reagan, Queen Elizabeth, Larry Reed, you know, is in really good company. Um, so I was just really proud of him to see him get that. Uh, he, I think he received it Saturday. And uh, if, if, for listeners who haven't, you know, read Larry or don't know him, um, Larry Larry's stuff is all over Fee, and he's he's Fee's best writer. And and his you know his his pieces on history, on Rome, on uh, you know the early colonial republic, you know all that stuff is 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 wonderful. So check out his work. There it is, uh, John Miltimore, editor at large at the uh, Foundation for Economic Education, Fee.org. I read it every day, and it helps keep me strong. Eat your Wheaties and read fee.org. Thanks, John. Monday's the Miltimore. Always a pleasure. Hey, thanks for having me on, Austin. Take care. Thanks very much. Way into the building. One of the bigger mixed martial arts fans. I know President Donald Trump taking his octagon side seat for UFC 295. Metallica rocking in the background. Look at that. Look at those boys. Look at all this testosterone. And President Trump will be here to witness all of it for oh, the testosterone. All of the testosterone in the world is gathered together in that one spot. <laughs> Wait, I need to get the, the video. I, I promised you I was going to find the uh, video of Taylor Swift. And speaking of while we're doing celebrity stuff this morning, Travis Kelsey, Taylor Swift. Where's the video of her walking off stage? Oh, and oh, here we go. Here it is. So she comes in. She sees her boyfriend. Look at this. There she is. There he is. Oh, oh my God, Travis. You belong to me. Oh my God. Look at her. She runs to a football man, gives football man kiss. Pop star gives football man kiss. Oh my god! Everybody freak out! Oh my god! Football man gives kiss from pop star. I love how they did it with the song in there. That was great. I'm definitely gonna get this video taken down now. So do me a favor if you don't mind, click like and subscribe to the channel. Help us to fight back against social media censorship. We've got lots more great content for you to go. I'm excited to have Tony Lavasco joining us here in a little bit less than 10 minutes. He'll be joining us. Oh, you belong to me. Floby Tenderson, he's quoting Vivek, says, you can't drain the swamp, but we can fire it. Vivek's bringing the napalm. Hell yes, I do like me some Vivek. Uh, and uh, let's see, uh, CJ84 
824, our new friend, she says, Vivek needs to prove himself first. So far, a great speaker. Who else showed up out of nowhere and was a great talker? Hmm. Obama's for you, you young people. What? No, no, God! No, God, please, no! Oh, no! He vomit, AP. No! That's hilarious. Hilarious. No! Steffi P., my smoking hot redheaded libertarian wife, joining us here this morning. Hi, Steffi. I miss you. She says, even celebrities can be in love. When you're in the public eye, it gets lonely, so it's nice to have that safe person there, as I know quite well. I'm basically like the Taylor Swift of libertarianism, am I not? Uh, CJ824, uh, 824, she continues on saying, actions, give him a spot on the trumpet, men, without too much power. See if he backs the talk with actions. That's a really good point there. P Ridge 82 what's up, P Ridge? He says, wasn't Obama a liberal? Everybody loves to call Vivek another Obama, even though they're ideological opposites. I agree. Thank you. Thanks for pointing that out. You can be the one who something understand you something something you belong to me. Deep, 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 deep. A whole lot of voters next year are going to find out that they're not black. Black voters show signs of slipping away from Biden in 2024. The Wall Street Journal reports that when Michelle Smith voted for President Biden in 2020, she thought he would help people like her, a black mother working two jobs and raising three teenage boys in North Philadelphia. Now she says she won't vote for him again, citing higher prices, skyrocketing rent, and a feeling she has left, she has been left behind. Meanwhile, at Michelle Smith's house. FBI, open up! And if you think that's a joke, did you see that the mayor of New York City, Eric Adams, was approached by the FBI on the street and had his phone and his iPad confiscated from him? The FBI grabbed his stuff took it away, made copies of all of his data, and then returned his phone and his iPad to him. The FBI showed up to do so because of an investigation into one of his fundraising directors. Apparently, there was some kind of pay-for-play scandal involving Turkish officials and the mayor of New York. So Eric Adams got accosted by the FBI, and they grabbed his iPad, and they grabbed his phone, copied it, and then they returned it a little bit to him later. But I mean, the fact that they approached him on the street like that just goes to show that apparently... So people at the Department of Justice are not happy with Eric Adams, and I already know what happened. Eric Adams criticized the Biden crime family and said, hey, you guys need to do something about the immigration crisis that's harming New York City. And I promised you that Joe Biden's lackeys came out there and were like, oh, no, you did not just talk smack about our man Joe Biden. And they came out and now they're cracking down on Eric Adams, which is kind of wild. I mean. The Democrats are doing everything that they can to lose the election next year. They're at each other's throats. You got the anti-Semites and Rashida Tlaib caucus. You got Joe Biden, 80 years old, dying of pretty much every disease known to man. You've got Kamala Harris, who is the most unpopular vice president in American history, right? I, at least according to the polls that I've seen lately. Was there any vice president who was a, as unpopular as her? They're at each other's throats. Demo, Jewish Democrats are saying, what the hell am I doing? Oh, they, why are they all trying to kill me? I need to take all the money that I'm putting in these universities and I need to put it somewhere else. Put it here. Put it here, Jews. Give us the Jewish money and the Jewish vote. You shouldn't be on the Democrat side, man. They're going to Hitler your ass. You need to come back over to the Republicans and join the Republican Party with the rest of us and all good libertarians as well. If you aren't an, uh, an anti-Semite, if you think that civilization is worthy of defending, if you believe in economic freedom and personal liberty like I do, their party goes to those who show up. Let's take over the Republican Party and make it a more libertarian party. Let's fight the left together. Let's join hands 
And let's bring fusionism back and restore our country. GD it. Let's restore the Constitution. Let's fight for limited government. Let's fight for individualism. Let's remember our Western civilization. Let's fight for the principles of liberty together in the Republican Party. Join me and Camellia, and together we will rule the galaxy as father and son. No, God! No, God, please, no! Luke, no! I am no! your father, no! yes. All right, so guess what? Apparently Oregon, speaking of libertarian, uh, apparently Oregon decriminalized drugs, and it hasn't worked out all of that well. I want to talk to Tony Lavasco about that. He's like me. He's a libertarian Republican, and he wants to decriminalize drugs. So when I sent this story to him yesterday, I'm like, Tony, what do you think about this? Oregon decriminalizes drugs. It isn't working. Majority of voters apparently now want to undo a pioneering change as public drug use has become rampant. Officer Jose Alvarez reported reportedly has stopped arresting people for possession. He was giving out tickets with a number for a rehab helpline. Most of the people smoking fentanyl or meth on the city streets ball them up. They throw them on the ground. Alvarez says that he thinks that these tickets seem like a waste of time. Nearly three years into an experiment that proponents hoped would spark a nationwide relaxation of drug laws, many in Oregon have turned against the decriminalization initiative. It passed with 58% of support in 2020. What's the problem? Why isn't it working? Libertarians said it would work. Well, obviously we believe people in their lives and their bodies, but we said that things would improve. Why are they not improving? Let's talk with Tony Lavasco about that when we get back on the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. Good morning. Rise in freedom. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. Have you been enjoying the show so far? Oh, good. I love that I can just push a button and get you to agree with me. But if you actually want to agree with me, I need you to push a button. Click that like button and subscribe to the channel if you're enjoying the content that you're watching this morning. We love to have all of our friends coming and joining us. I do frequently hear that they have problems watching our show on other apps. Well, why are you watching our show on other apps, Casey Holland? You need to be listening to us over at Rumble.com. They're the ones who really love us. They wouldn't demonetize me like YouTube would do. Don't watch us over there if you can help it. Join us at Rumble.com slash AP for Liberty, where we're fighting for social media free speech here at Rumble.com. Thank you to Rumble.com for being so supportive of our show over the past several months. Click that like button, subscribe to the channel, and send us a text. Let us know what's on your mind at 573-319-1586. Again, you can text the show anytime, night or day, because I check the text messages even in the evenings at 573-319-1586. Sometimes our audio podcast subscribers, when they listen to us on iTunes or they listen to us on Podbean or Spotify, what have you, they want to have their voice heard, and I'll read your voicemail or your text on air maybe the next day, so you can text us at that number anytime you like. Okay, well, libertarians, we just want to be like Republicans but smoke weed, man. No, I'm just kidding. We believe in the decriminalization or even the legalization of all drugs. Yeah, black tar heroin, except I don't think you ought to be able to sell it to kids, obviously. No, I know. No, I know you're booing some of you out there. I'm not an anarchist. Obviously, there should be restrictions for children. And does decriminalization or legalization mean we're all going to live in Shangri-La and we're not going to have any problem with addicts? Well, that doesn't seem to be the case out in Oregon, for example. 
where a lot of voters think that it's been a massive mistake. Their three-year experimentation into legaliz or decriminalization has been an absolute disaster, say local residents. Joining me now to discuss is one local resident here in the state of Missouri. He's a state representative. His name's Tony Lavosco, joining us live right now. Good morning, Tony. Good morning, Austin. Hey, so what did you think of this story? Well, I think it's not surprising. I think it's interesting when you see the uh, more liberal-leaning states uh, pushing for various uh, forms of decriminalization uh, that they seem to forget human nature. Uh, you can't do something that broad in a vacuum. And that's exactly what Oregon did. Uh, the idea that they are going to basically decriminalize all drugs uh, regardless of their strength, and then uh, instead of uh, you know taking people to prison for for possession, uh, they're going to issue them a, a ticket that uh, you know they don't have to pay a fine if they call some crisis hotline or something to help them get help for their addiction. Uh, I think that's just not naive. I, I think the idea that we're going to pretend that the vast majority of folks that are addicted to various substances. Uh, are going to instantly want to get help if only the big brother government comes and gives it to them. Uh, I think that's silly. Of course, you're going to have unintended consequences. Of course, you're going to have issues with people using in public uh, things that are going to be uh, following from that higher levels of homelessness. You can't do something that large and then just wash your hands of what happens afterwards. They needed to have a plan to deal with those after effects, and they didn't. So it's looking likely that the state might legislature might work to recriminalize hard drugs. Is that the solution? No. <laughs> so that, that, that's what's so frustrating about the situation in Oregon is that you have one big government solution trying to replace another big government solution to fix a problem that government created. All they need to do is actually enforce the laws that they've got about property crimes, about trespassing, uh, about what you can do in public places such as a park. You know, it's not hard to have a rule. If they can have a rule that says that you got to be out of the park after dusk, pretty sure they can have a rule that says you can't do black tar heroin in the middle of the park. Or not difficult concepts. But instead, you got situations just like what you're seeing in San Francisco, where they don't have nearly as much uh, uh, decriminalization, but you have the same problem with homelessness, with tent cities, that sort of thing, because they refuse to enforce the property rules that they've already got on the books. And instead, they want to just create another program, another layer of bureaucracy. It's stupid. Was it ever reasonable to expect, Tony, that this would happen? Because the problem, of, of course, is that as you get a little bit farther towards the libertarian end of the spectrum of things, if you or I were to have this kind of a reasonable discussion in front of the average libertarian party conference or meeting, uh, I can imagine that you saying things like you can't do black tar heroin in the middle of a park uh, might get us some resounding boos. Too bad. <laughs> too bad. Oh, really, statist, authoritarian, Republican. Uh, what do you mean, too bad? Uh, you, are you suggesting that there ought to be some kind of, uh, there should be some kind of criminal code that prevents people from doing their delicious heroin in public? I'm not necessarily saying we need to go that far that, that uh, you know, we're going to completely uh, regulate people's behavior regardless of where they are. But yeah, if they're on public property that is owned by the taxpayers, I think it is not unreasonable. If we're going to have public parks, which perhaps a separate discussion is whether or not we should, if they're going to exist, I think it's reasonable that there are rules as to what you can do when you are in them. That's no different than going on to any other piece of property that you don't own. If I walk into a Walmart, I think it is a reasonable assumption that I cannot do heroin in the middle of Walmart or they will remove me. Why would there be any drastic difference in a publicly owned place like a park?
One of um, Murray Rothbard's quotes that uh, frequently gets trotted out, he was a libertarian anarchist economist. He says that we should unleash the cops to clear the streets of bums and vagrants. Where will they go? Who cares? Hopefully they will disappear. That is, move from the ranks of the petted and cosseted bum class to the ranks of the productive members of society. How would you respond to that? Well, I know I've heard that quote before, and I know that's controversial in some circles because a lot of folks are suggesting that he thinks that the cops ought to go out there and crack some skulls. Uh, no, I don't think that's what that means at all. I, again, going back to what I said, I, I think it means that you enforce property rights. That is one of the primary functions of government and certainly law enforcement as an extension of government. And you can't have pro private property rights if you have people that are violating them on a regular basis with no consequence. It doesn't mean that you have to throw piece of people in prison for the, the rest of their life. We don't want cops shooting people in the back of the head. But yeah, I think you can clear the sidewalk so that people can walk on the sidewalk. That's not unreasonable. Did you see that San Francisco managed to clear the homeless off of the sidewalks and clean up their streets now that Xi Jinping is on his way? You know, it's interesting how convenient that that is, that uh, when government wants to do something, they can occasionally do it. But when they decide that it's not a priority, uh, you know, it languishes. Uh, once again, we've got government deciding that uh, they think that they can orchestrate an outcome uh, without uh, completely looking at how people actually behave in the real world. And it's, it's just naivete. Tony, is it reasonable to expect that we should have things like vagrancy laws and prevent homeless people from camping out on sidewalks? Well, again, as long as we're going to have sidewalks, they need to be used for the purposes of sidewalks. You know, it, it's interesting. People don't take these same types of arguments with other, you know, publicly owned resources, uh, such as the interstate. Uh, you know, if you had a homeless camp in the middle of Highway 70, I imagine there would be people across the entire political spectrum calling for it to be removed. That would not be controversial. Well, they just uh, need to put on a Just Stop oil shirt. They just need to put on a Just Stop oil shirt, and then they <laughs> yeah. can... They now, can do to be it. clear, that's not to suggest that uh, we take the uh, the attack that uh, the gentleman in, uh, was that Canada, perhaps? Uh, Australia, I forgot what country it was, that just uh, went and just shot the two guys. Uh, that's perhaps a, a taking it too far the other direction. But uh, nonetheless, uh, you really shouldn't brought the red. Perhaps. If you're just tuning into the Wake Up America show, good morning. I'm your host, Austin Peterson. This is Tony Lavasco I'm speaking to. And Tony is a Missouri state representative who's joining us live right now on the show. We're talking about a Oregon's failed experiment in drug decriminalization. So is it fair to say then, Tony, if I were to summate your views on this one, that we want to, we do want to decriminalize drugs, even hard drugs for adults, but then alternatively, that means that we do have to strictly enforce laws against vagrancy, homeless camps, open air drug markets, and things like that. So then in some sense, like we do believe in some regulation then, if you will, to use a, a slur, a libertarian slur word, the R word there. Is that the case? I think broadly, you know, I think that the important distinction is government should regulate behavior that is causing direct harm to others. It should not regulate behavior that is not causing direct harm to others. It's not difficult. And anytime you don't own a piece of property, you don't get to say specifically what the rules for entering that property is. It's no different whether it's a publicly owned piece of property or a privately owned piece of property. Now, the larger conversation, of course, is how much property should the government own? What kinds of public resources should be available? I think you and I would say not nearly as many as what is currently out there. However, 
we have made these investments, quote unquote, to use a, a statist term, as you will. Uh, they do exist. We can't pretend that public parks do, don't exist, that libraries don't exist. And to let them completely fall into disarray while we are paying for them as taxpayers is not productive. The conservative would say, Tony, that according to your argument that they, we should uh, have laws that prevent people from doing harm to one another, the conservative would say that selling fentanyl to someone is doing harm to them. How would you respond? Well, I would say selling fentanyl to someone who did not order fentanyl is absolutely doing harm to them. Uh, we see that time and time again in situations where people are lacing drugs uh, with fentanyl and harder substances that their customers did not request. Uh, either to increase the potency or to stretch out their supply or for any other number of reasons. Those types of things absolutely should be criminalized and prosecuted because that's akin to attempted murder in a lot of cases. But that's not the same as if someone wants to just buy some fentanyl. Whether you and I think that's an appropriate act or whether or not we think we could ever do so in a way that would be safe, you know, I'd probably not. But that doesn't mean that the mere transaction is the thing that we should be criminalizing. We should be criminalizing the harm. And with fentanyl, usually they go hand in hand. And so I think as a practical matter, I think that you end up more or less prohibiting a lot of that. But it doesn't mean that simply, you know, having a pill in your pocket ought to send you to prison. Tony, I, I listen to people who disagree with me and the arguments that they make in order to ensure that I'm being logical. I got chastised for this recently by Dave Smith in a debate about Israel and Hamas who suggested I needed fewer neocon friends. I have friends that are Marxists, some who have actually recently disavowed me, but still, I try and listen to the arguments and opinions of people who disagree with me in order to ensure that my reasoning and my logic and my morals and ethics are sound and can withstand the test of, of challenges that come from the outside world. One of the big tests and challenges that has come to libertarian philosophy, I think, in the regards to the question of free trade, which I think tangentially is related to the question of if someone wants to buy fentanyl, should they be allowed to sell it? Should they be allowed to buy that dangerous poison? Is the question, you know, of international trade, should you be allowed to sell Zyklon B to the Nazis? Right? So one of the big theoretical questions of World War II is whether or not it was a provocation for Franklin Delano Roosevelt to sell oil to the Imperial Japanese that they could then use to rape Nanking. Our libertarian friends and brethren frequently point the finger at FDR and say it's FDR's fault that they attacked us at Pearl Harbor. Uh, it's sort of like blaming the rape victim, if you will. But conservatives will say, well, uh, we had no obligation to sell oil to the Japanese that they were, could then use for conquest and then possibly even you know store up and use against us in the future. Because, of course, a lot of people did think that we would eventually go to war with the Japanese, which we did. However, Selling Zyklon B, a poison that the Nazis are using to gas Jews in concentration camps. Is there some ethical obligation that we have to maintain a pure position of free trade that here in the United States, the government doesn't have some say-so to interdict trade here and to say, nah, you know, IG Farben and you know, IBM, you're not allowed to sell Zyklon B to the, the, German, the National Socialist Party of Germany because they're using it in concentration camps. Is there some reasonable restrictions on trade that one might say, you know, and, and then apply this then to the question of fentanyl here domestically. Tony, I know that international trade and, you know, and, and international trade are separate concepts, but on the bigger picture thing, there is some question about whether or not, you know, the government has an, an interest in preventing people from doing harm to one another through trade, as IG Farben did with Zyklon B, 
as some of the selling of oils the Imperial Japanese might have been, or domestically, people who sell poison to people that they might do harm to themselves and others? Well, I'd say there's two questions there. Uh, number one is what the government's policy should be, and then number two, what the government does to or doesn't do uh, to interject into the free market. Uh, I don't think it should be the policy of the government itself to be selling weapons and other types of armaments to other countries that are hostile or even ones that aren't in a lot of cases. Uh, that's a different tactic. I think there's no problem whatsoever with a foreign policy position that we are not going to sell nuclear weapons to Iran because we'd prefer Iran not to have a nuclear weapon. I, I completely support that prohibition. There's a huge difference, though, when the government takes a stand and says, you, Austin Peterson, cannot sell uh, your old PlayStation 3 to some guy who lives in Iran, Iran because he might modify that to make a missile guidance system. That's where I have an issue. Because now we're getting into the exact same tired arguments that the left uses when it comes to guns. That, well, you know what, the gun dealer can't sell to somebody because that person might decide to commit a crime later. And so the gun dealer needs to somehow magically know what that person's intentions are and, and vet their customers, and they're going to be responsible. And on top of that, we're going to make the gun manufacturers responsible and just move up the chain. So all people had nothing to do with the actual crime that was committed, the harm that was being done. And instead, we're going to try to just stop the transaction as if that's going to magically solve a problem. It so if I, if I manufacture biological weapons or chemical weapons, if I'm a manufacturer of such, uh, say I'm, I'm part of the military industrial complex, for example, I work for Boeing or Raytheon or what have you, and I, I'm, I manufacture VX gas, uh, then you think that it is reasonable for the United States government to pre prevent me, a private company, from selling VX gas to Iran? Well, I would say the free market solution to that uh, rather odd scenario that you cre created was uh, if you want to sell VX gas to the United States government, then you have to sign a contract that says you won't sell it to anybody else. And you know what? I'm pretty sure the United States government buys a lot more VX gas than all the other little petty countries that you might want to deal with. So uh, most an of interesting these hypothetical, are fun I mean, an paper. interesting hypothetical, right? But like yeah. based on actual historic precedent, right? IG Farben manufactures Zyklon B, sells it to the Nazis. The Nazis use it to gas the Jews. It's reasonable to expect that the government might say, no, IG Farben, you cannot sell your Zyklon B to the Nazis. Sure. Okay. But there's a difference between you should not or, or you should be prohibited uh, from selling something that is facilitating a crime versus selling something for its intended purpose that is not harmful. So should FDR have not prevented the sale of U.S. oil to Japan? Was that a provocation in your mind? I wouldn't say it's a provocation. I would say, generally speaking, there are better policies that would accomplish the same goal than restricting trade. Mm -hmm. See, I think that's actually a big challenge to libertarian ideals, because if the Imperial Japan is blatantly and openly using our oil supplies here in the United States to conduct crimes of mass murder, then there it probably should be dwelling around the same realm of that, you know, VX gas. So those important natural resources that we have here in the United States. But it does present a real challenge to libertarian ideals or idealism to an extent, does it not, Tony? Oh, absolutely. And I think you can't divorce these philosophies from reality and how they actually look to people who don't necessarily hold the same views. You know, you and I might think that, you know, business is king and that the transaction is is separate from the intent, but most people are going to look at the guy who is, you know, 
selling AR-15s to somebody that very clearly uh, is an unsavory savory character. And they're going to think, you know, that person was irresponsible by making that sale. And you know what? I would feel that way. You know, I don't think we should criminalize bars that overserve people. I think that dram shop laws are ridiculous. But I certainly frown upon and condemn the guy who serves the person the 30th drink when they know they're wasted and then, you know, doesn't try to stop them from driving away. I think that person is morally responsible. Do I think we should hold them legally responsible? Well, no. And I think that's just where we got to draw the line. Are the laws of war separate from the laws of peace in your mind? No. No? I think the practicalities are different. The scale is clearly different. But I think we have to use the same underlying philosophies to guide us in all situations. Otherwise, we have no philosophy. If you're just tuning into the Wake Up America show, good morning. I'm your host, Austin Peterson. I'm speaking to Missouri State Representative Tony Lavasco, and he's joining us now. We were talking uh, a few minutes ago about Oregon's experiment in drug decriminalization and how the experiment has proven to be such a monumental failure that they're now considering recriminalizing drugs in the state of Oregon. Tony has taken the stand that he thinks that it's a mistake to go back and recriminalize these drugs. But if I'm and I'm paraphrasing, if I'm paraphrasing incorrectly, please correct me, Tony. But your argument is that on the other side of these things, that there should be strict enforcement of actual harm laws and possible vagrancy laws to prevent the kind of uh, dangerous situations that people like regular citizens find themselves on the streets of these cities. So there should be on some end, there should be a strict enforcement of the actual laws that are that are true crimes. Is that true, Tony? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I think one of the core philosophies that I've had for a while was that you ought to have very few laws. But the ones you choose to have, you ought to enforce. I, I don't think it's it's reasonable to just look the other way when people are being hurt. At that point, what's the point of having government? Uh, Tony, uh, switching subjects here, gun to your head this morning, and Tim Scott is no longer an option because he dropped out of the oh. Republican primary nomination process. Uh, who do you vote for in the Republican primary if it were held oh. today? Well, of course, as you know, Austin, we don't have a Republican primary here in Missouri anymore. We have a caucus system. Yes. Uh, I'm undecided if I'm actually going to participate or not. Uh, oh, come as you on. Know that, uh, well, you know, as you know, that uh, that process is uh, controlled and run by the local central committees, uh, of which I have had a little bit of a dispute in recent months. So I'm not oh. sure I want to grace them with my presence. Come uh, on, that Tony. being said, uh, to answer your original question, uh, you know, of, of the people on the debate stage, I think I'd probably go with uh, Vivek. Uh, although he's got a lot of issues uh, that I'm not sure I could necessarily vote for him uh, in a scenario in which my vote actually mattered. Uh, I think the reality is Donald Trump's probably going to win Missouri, so I don't know that that preference is going to make any real difference. Uh, if it why, really came down why Vivek? To a, why Vivek? So, I've, you know, of the candidates, I, you know, a lot of it is a process of elimination. Uh, we've got a lot of terrible folks running. I, I think the fact that uh, the likes of Nikki Haley are are so popular is really a bad sign for our party. Uh, you know, I think that there's folks like Tim Scott, I guess he just dropped, dropped out, uh, seems like he's got some good intentions, but seems very ill prepared for that kind of scale. Uh, you know, I, I think Vivek's obviously a bit of a showman. And I think that could potentially uh, go off the rails as it often did with Donald Trump. However, he does clearly recognize who the enemies are and who the adversaries of liberty are, and he's going after them. And I think that's a good start. There you go, State Representative Tony Lavasco. Anything else you want to share or listen or plug to the 212 people watching us live right now? Well, as always, you can check me out at TonyLavasco.com or make a contribution to my campaign at HelpTony.com. Uh, but I'd like you to keep an eye out on the legislation that's coming up for the upcoming session here in Missouri.
There you go. The upcoming session, which means that Tony will be in Jefferson City, which means he'll be able to join us live and in studio coming very soon. Tony, we appreciate you very much, sir. Thanks for getting up early and being so generous with your time. Thanks for having me, Austin. Thank you very much. I think of Tony Lavasco. Look at them go. They're so in love. Is this the is this it for Taylor and Travis? Is this gonna be the final time that they have a relationship? Get him, Taylor. This is such good stuff. You belong to me. All right, I'm going to take a real quick break, okay? Because this stuff is exhausting. When I get back, what are we going to talk about? Oh, yeah, this is a good one. Media panicking over whether they knew about the Hamas terrorist attacks. And we're going to play a clip from like the 1970s or 80s Peter Jennings. Would you warn American soldiers if you were a journalist about an incoming attack? We'll talk about that on the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. Good morning. Rise and freedom. I'm Austin. Ooh, somebody just bought an American flag bikini. Good morning. Somebody's definitely feeling themselves today. Nice to see you. Somebody feel maybe soon be feeling someone else. Welcome to the Wake Up America show. Oh, it's just a bikini. Austin, get over it. Glad to have you here. Click that like button and subscribe to the channel if you're enjoying the content that you're watching here today on the Wake Up America show. We stream this show live Monday through Friday from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. Central Time. And for people like Kilsharian that can't tune in live sometimes, like I saw this morning, she jumped in. She's like, oh, my God, thank God you upload the audio to this later so I can listen because you haven't been able to join us live. We do upload the audio of this show later. Do you know how hard I work for you all? Do you know how hard I work? Not only do I produce this live show and every single bit of content that you see, every guest that's booked on this program, every every jot and tittle, he said tittle, is produced by me. And that includes the audio podcast that you can enjoy later. Have you subscribed to the audio version of that as well? Do us a favor, click that like button, subscribe to the channel, and subscribe to the audio version of the Wake Up America show. Do you have an iPhone? Well, then we're on whatever iTunes app that you have. I don't know. I'm an Android user. Meh. Don't fight, fight me on that. Uh, or I'm on Spotify, which is basically whatever phone you use. But if you subscribe to the audio podcast, that way you'll never miss an episode and you can listen to us whenever you're out there on the road and you don't get all of the data charges that's like downloading all the video stuff when you're listening to us live. It's a great way to hear the show uh, on the go. So make sure that you subscribe to the audio version as well. Okay. This was a story that really blew my mind, and I know that we talked about it a little bit last week, but more information has been uncovered about these photojournalists who provide photos for the likes of the Associated Press, the New York Times, Reuters, and other outlets apparently were allegedly at the Israeli border with Hamas terrorists who committed the October 7th uh, atrocities against Israeli civilians. 
Now, everybody's trying to find out if these reporters knew about the uh, attack in advance, and more importantly, if they could have saved lives by alerting the world about it. So the question sort of, of today, the question of the day is, did the AP, CNN, the New York Times, and Reuters know about the Hamas terror attack in advance? Apparently, these allegations have sent the media into panic mode. Yeah, that picture that you were looking at there is one of the, uh, let me put it back up there for you, is one of the freelance journalists, Hassan Azlaya, whom both AP and CNN used on October 7th. Here he is with the Hamas leader and the mastermind of the October 7th massacre, Yahya Sinwar, getting kissed on the face by the head of the Hamas terror group. This is the reporter for the AP, CNN, Reuters, if you will. So here's the thing. Even if you don't think that it's the job of reporters to let you know uh, people, civilians know, or let their your governments know that there is an imminent terror attack that's coming, even if you don't think that, if you think that they should be uh, unbiased, uncritical, they should just simply be reporting on the news, it's one thing to say that they should be neutral. It's another thing entirely to be getting kissed on the face by the people who are masterminding these terrorist attacks. So they're not being neutral. They're not being unbiased. CNN, AP, Reuters, these mainstream media outlets and organizations here in the United States, it appears as if the people that they're using to gather their information are not the kind of, oh, well, I'm just staying out of this type of people. They're, they're picking sides, but they're picking sides against their country of national origin. They're picking the side of the terrorists. At least that's what it looks like when you see that photograph of that reporter who was used by CNN getting kissed on the face. So the website Honest Reporting, now they, they cover uh, uh, critical coverage of Israel, and it's been, they're their own, they're sort of one-sided in their way, but they see themselves as a balance to one-sided coverage from what they call Pallywood and crisis actor coverage by Hamas and their agents, asking, is it conceivable to assume that journalists just happened to appear early in the morning at the border without prior coordination with the terrorists, or were they part of the plan? So we know the story by now. Hamas terrorists paraglided and drove into civilian populations that day. They committed acts of horrific brutality. They wanted their murders to be chronicled for the world, and that's why they wore GoPro cameras and arranged for traditional media photographers to go in with them HonestReporting.com says that four names appear on AP's photo credits from the uh, Gaza border area. area. Hassan Islaya, Youssef Masood, Ali Mahmoud, and Hatem Ali. And the news watchdog organization took a closer look at the first gentleman, that guy who was getting kissed, and said a freelancer who also works for CNN crossed into Israel, took photos of a burning Israeli tank, and then captured infiltrators entering Kibbutz Kafar Azab. Islaya did not wear a press vest or a helmet. He posted videos of himself on Twitter saying that everyone who were inside this tank were kidnapped. Everyone who were inside the tank was kidnapped a while ago by the Al-Qassam brigades. That's the Hamas armed wing. Uh, as he says, he says that they've seen with their own eyes. So the first thing in the morning when this terror attack happens, here he is. <laughs> He's saying everyone who is, was in this tank has been captured by the Al-Qassam Brigades. Uh, 
There he is. This is a uh, officially sanctioned reporter from CNN. So in war reporting, journalists are often given a heads up and they're allowed to chronicle American troops heading into battle. But this wasn't an act of war. This was terrorism. It was murder for murder's sake. And there hasn't been an Israeli offensive to which the Gaza terror organization was responding. Indeed, if Hamas had been wearing uniforms and acting as an army, they would have been accused of war crimes. As it is, they're accused of crimes against humanity. So the question, of course, is journalistic ethics, right? So consider the ethics of a photojournalist and seeing and then helping someone in peril or taking a photo. You know, the consensus was, you know, you should be a human first and a reporter second. So, of course, you help a person first and worry about the photo later. That was the answer back in the day when they taught journalistic ethics. Is that answer still the same now? I, I apparently not. But I found this really great discussion between uh, Peter Jennings and Mike Wallace asking the question of whether they or not they would warn American troops of an impending ambush or do they serve some higher calling than their status as an American? as journalists. It's a great conversation. Let's take a listen to it and consider the ethics of this themselves. What would you do in this situation? If I was with the North Kozanese unit that came upon Americans, um, I think I personally would do what I could to warn the Americans. Even if it means not getting the live covered. Well, it would mean my life, and I don't have much doubt about that, I think. And, and I'm very glad this is a hypothetical. But, uh. He's saying, and so Peter Jennings says that he thinks that he would do what he could to warn the Americans, meaning that he feels that his calling as an American, or even as a human, perhaps, outweighs his job as a journalist. Not everybody agrees with him. Listen to this. Um, but I do not I, I do not think I could bring myself to participate in that fashion. That's purely personal. Other reporters might have a different reaction. Mr. Wallace? I think some other reporters would have a different reaction. Such yeah. as? They would, they would regard it simply as another story that they are there to cover. They're going to cover enemy soldiers shooting and killing American soldiers. Mm -hmm. Yes. Could you imagine how they would report that? The American people? Surely I can. Could you do it? Would I do it? I'm an old man. I don't know that I would. Uh, I find it very difficult to believe, and I'm, 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 I'm astonished really to hear Peter say that. You're a reporter. Granted, you're an American, but you're a reporter covering combat between North Kosan, South Kosan, and the Allies. And I'm a little bit at a loss to understand why, because you are an American, you would not have covered that story. I mean, when we go back to Vietnam, there were all kinds of reporters who did indeed go in to Hanoi, wanted to go to Haiphong. Everybody wanted to go there. Why would a reporter say, I'm not going to cover that because I am unhappy about what's happening there? It's not unhappiness, Mr. Wallace. It's, don't you have a higher duty as an American citizen to do all that you can to save the lives of soldiers rather than this journalistic ethic of reporting the fact. No, That's a big question there, and I wonder how you feel about it. Obviously, I am in the news business. I've worked for credentialed news organizations. 
I've won awards for my coverage of the COVID-19 pandemic, and I do understand and respect the laws of journalistic ethics. However, I am something of an, an anomaly in, to some extent in regards to what modern journalism is because although I try and personally remain ob as objective as possible when it comes to considering the facts of any situation or event that I'm covering, and I try and be as fair as possible, I am not unbiased. I am undoubtedly pro-American. I am I'm for America first. And if I were in the situation where American soldiers might be harmed, and I was aware of an imminent attack and given the opportunity to cover that story, I would absolutely warn my fellow Americans about the possibility of an imminent attack on American soldiers or on a, especially on American civilians. If we're talking about something that is a, a terrorist attack, then absolutely I would do so. I do understand where Mike Wallace is coming from, even though I don't agree with him. I do think that that is part of the problem with journalists in the United States is that they do not have any higher calling they see than themselves and their profession, but there is actually a higher calling than a profession as a journalist. I do think that this is part of the reason why they have become a fifth column for the establishment in this country. And I think that for good reason, people do not trust journalists because they see how CNN, AP, Reuters, CBS News, Fox News, the mainstream media in nearly every fashion collude against the people of the United States, collude against the institutions of the people of the United States. And this is why we have lost so much faith and trust in these journalistic institutions. They're not on our side and they they claim to be neutral, but they are liars. They lie when they claim they're neutral. CNN is not neutral. ABC News, NBC News, they are not neutral. They are on the side of the enemy. They side with the terrorists. They side against Western civilization because they hate us. They hate our values. They seek to destroy humanity as it exists in the United States, and I say this not hyper hyperbolically, but in the same way that Elon Musk says it when he talks about George Soros and his utter disdain for humanity. This is journalism writ large. Am I right or am I wrong? And I can just push a button and have you agree with me, but I'd love to actually hear your thoughts on this one. You can text the show and let us know at 573-319-1586. Again, you can text the show and let us know your thoughts on journalistic ethics, specifically in regarding this case, at 573-319-1586. Let's continue on with this. You don't have the higher duty to... No, no. You're a reporter. Your job is to cover what is going on in that war. People know that Americans are getting killed in that war. Lord knows it's a hypothetical. I would probably, I'd get on, I'd get on the horn with Peter and say, "What the dickens do you mean?" Yeah, you I think he's right too. I chickened out. I mean, yeah. I played the hypothetical very hard, but I think he's right. I, I think they've got the same problems that Downs has. What's the problem, General Scope? Uh, I think the problem is the situation, the job, as opposed to a higher, to a higher cause. First of all, I think you're Americans first and your journalist second, just as I think that Downs is, sure, he's a unit commander and he's got these terrible ethical problems, but we do live 
by rules in this society, rules of right and wrong, even situationally in the upper. In the, in the broad sense, General we Stokoff, can't get away what with in the world is wrong with photographing this attack by North Korea on American soldiers? Boy, that's an interesting one. Big question. Yeah, remember when reporters actually debated uh, debated ethics? A good one. Sign of Jonah reminds us, didn't Jerry Seinfeld, George, Kramer, and Elaine go to jail for filming and not helping? Yes, they did. The final episode of Seinfeld. It's an interesting question, and it reminds me of another story. There was this little girl who, after a, either a hurricane or a monsoon, she was um, who, uh, trapped uh, in, in water, and uh, she died. Uh, Omira Sanchez, yes, I remember this story. Um, and just an FYI, I'm going to pull up a photograph of something that is quite um, shocking. So if you have little ones who are watching or if you are easily... Uh, if your your stomach easily turns, then this is going to be a little bit. Um, I won't say grotesque, but it's just it's a very you know it's a child who is uh, is in the stage of of dying. This is a little girl by the name of Omira Sanchez. You can see a picture of her here. Uh, she was a Colombian girl. She was trapped and killed by a landslide when she was thirteen years old. It was caused by the eruption of a volcano and uh, led to mud flows and landslides and it killed about 25,000 people and this is a photograph Frank, Frank Fournier's photograph of Sanchez she was trapped beneath the debris of her house and she remained in water for three days now rescue workers did not have any way to render life-saving medical care so if they ampl amputated her legs then she would have bled out uh, so they were hoping that they might have been able to get better medical care for her there, but they, because of how remote the region was where she was trapped, there was no way for her to be released from her situation. So, and then her plight was documented by journalists as she transformed from calmness into agony while relief workers there tried to comfort her. After 60 hours of struggling, she died either as a result of gangrene or hypothermia. Her death was used to dramatize allegations of the failure of officials to respond correctly to the threat of the volcano. And this photograph that went um, I mean, viral for the time was published in news outlets around the world. She's been remembered in music, literature, and many commemorative articles. You can see here her eyes have turned black from the sepsis of the situation. And while this isn't a question of journalistic ethics, it is clear a moral situation as a reporter who um, may be aware of an attack that's coming. Many people at the time wondered why the photographers, the many journalists who were there, didn't do more to try and help the girl. And the, it became this became a big debate and a question of journalistic ethics of whether or not the journalists should have done more to try and help this girl rather than take a picture. And in some ways, right, the, the, although that Seinfeld case that you brought up earlier, the chat brought up earlier, is a funny case and, and one to think about, like right, the bystander effect, you know, should you get involved between uh, uh, two people? If you can stop something from happening, should you get involved, right? Uh, most people ask themselves these kinds of questions. If they live in cities where there's danger and they see two people getting involved, then if it, depending on if it's a blue city or, you know, in a, in a blue state, there's a there's a strong incentive not to get involved. Um, some people who are animal lovers frequently will, when they see journalists 
photojournalists on African safaris will see, you know, they'll they'll say, well, shouldn't you help the the pig so that the pig doesn't get eaten by the crocodile or what have you? But those kinds of photojournalists, they have their own ethics as well. They don't want to interfere with nature. If a crocodile is going to eat a little baby kitten, right? The average human or, or especially a child might see something like that and think, well, shouldn't the photographer or the reporter help the kitten so that it doesn't get eaten by the alligator, right? But there is a code of ethics and conducts. If you're a journalist and you're watching the animal kingdom, then no, you're not going to interfere with something like that. It does happen. You will sometimes see clips of photojournalists will be in the Serengeti or they'll be in a situation where they where two animals are, are uh, coming into contact with one another and the cuter animal wins, right? In, in the sense that human beings will sometimes step in and warn the other, the animal that they're about to get eaten by the crocodile, the alligator, or, or the, the predator in order to save the animal that we deem to be cuter, if you will. And that does happen. It, it is a question of journalistic ethics. Most people who operate in those kinds of scenarios do think that it's better to stay out of it to not that, that predators and prey the relationship between those two should be allowed to continue uh, uh un unmolested by the outside world that photojournalists in that situation should not get involved but the animal world is not the same as the human world so the question of course is do for photojournalists or do uh reporters have some sense of national pride or uh, a sense of a do they have a moral obligation to prevent acts of terrorism here again we're not talking about a hot war of something like even like vietnam uh or, or world war ii where you have you know sanctioned armies fighting against one another in a in a conflict um you know we could say that vietnam was not properly sanctioned but it would be here for hours this is an act of terrorism Right. So this as an act of of terrorism, do journalists that are members of a of a nation state, right, sanctioned, if you will, with me media credentials in the United States as part of our mainstream media organizations. And many of these mainstream media organizations do receive funds from the government. Here, here's a better question. What about NPR? If you were a journalist from NPR and you were given the opportunity to go along with Hamas on October 7th, would you have done so? What if the attack, instead of attacking uh, Israeli civilians, they were attacking American civilians? If Osama bin Laden gave reporters access on 9-11, uh, be a little hard to document it in the air because of, you know, everybody's going to die in the plane, but this hypothetical situation, consider that, if you are a reporter for NPR, you're literally receiving mon money from the government in order to conduct your operations. Would you, as a reporter, morally believe that you have an obligation to protect American citizens who are paying your salary from a terror attack if you have prior knowledge of such? These are interesting hypotheticals, but these, these things happen. These are real questions that we have to concern ourselves with. And I say we, I mean... We people in the uh, in the press, in the media, uh, as a member of the media, as someone who's been a credentialed journalist in the past and someone who has won awards for broadcasting and and did so, I think my the award that I won was because as biased as I was, I was as objective as possible in covering the COVID-19 pandemic. And for that, I received the media award from the Missouri State Public Health Association, which was kind of fascinating because I was highly critical of the Missouri Public Health Association, but I think 
they appreciated that while I held to their feet to their fire to the feet to the fire, um, uh, so to speak, I was as objective as possible. I was clear about my biases toward freedom in preventing uh, COVID tyranny, preventing the government of the state of Missouri from cracking down on citizens. I fought hard to prevent the government of Jefferson City from cracking down on citizens and closing businesses here locally where I live. And I was a uh, part of a protest here in Jefferson City uh, against the government from any kinds of lockdowns or business closures here in the state of Missouri. So I am an activist, not just a journalist, which of course places different obligations on me. And again, I've been very clear that I'm pro-America, pro-Missouri, pro-liberty, pro-constitution, pro-freedom, and therefore my bias is towards those things. And as an American nationalist, I would act to uh, protect the lives of American civilians and citizens if that question were to arise. I would act to protect the lives of American soldiers uh, if there were uh, an imminent attack that I were aware of that I came into uh, knowledge about uh, in my role as a journalist. But you know, not everyone feels those same ethical and moral obligations, but they should, in my view, in my opinion. I understand that there is this, this desire for some people to try and pretend as if media organizations can be neutral or uncritical observers, but I believe that to be a lie. I will tell you why. I believe that it is a, it is a lie to believe that reporters can ever be objective. Bias is always endemic to the reporting profession. Even if you wrote an article about uh, an event, a news event, and covered it as objectively as possible, got both sides of the story, both sides of the debate of the, of the event, and covered it completely uncritically, just a straight rote recitation of the facts, there is still bias inherent in that article. And how do I know this? Because the bias was in choosing which article or news event to cover. Get me? Have you visited APForLibertyShop.com? Today's the day. Get yourself an American flag bikini if you love America like I do. God bless America. If you haven't visited APForLibertyShop.com, you're missing out. we got a ton of new products in the shop. We've got this really cool shot glass that's also a ornament. And it's like you can fit some whiskey in it so you can put some whiskey up on the tree and then Santa can have a little, little snatch, a little hoot, a little hooch. Visit AP4LibertyShop.com. Check out all of our holiday collection and gear. We've got amazing items. Now's the time. It's time to be shopping. Get your shopping done because you want to get your Christmas shopping done and out of the way. Why not do your Christmas shopping this year at AP4LibertyShop.com? Support someone who would warn you if there was a terrorist attack coming against you, shouldn't you? I support you. And your right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Help support AP for Liberty at AP4LibertyShop.com. That's AP, the number four, AP4LibertyShop.com. We got delicious coffees. Time to get some orders in this week. We got lots of special surprises coming down the pike. You want to be a part of it? Subscribe to our coffee uh, program on a monthly basis. If you buy more than one bag, you get the discount, right? So go to the bundles page. Select whole bean or ground. I know some people are like, why won't it let me check out? Well, you didn't select whole bean or ground on the uh, on the uh, little drop down menu there. You got to do that. So that way you can decide if you want to get your whole bean or you want to get ground. I like the whole bean. Some people like ground. Check it out at AP4LibertyShop.com. That's AP, the number four, AP4LibertyShop.com. We'll see you tomorrow right here on the Wake Up America Show at Wake Up America Show. 
www.thebrewhouse.com. 